Thought Warriors. What is up? Higher Learning is on. It is I, Van Lathan Jr. And it's me, Rachel Lynn Lindsay. Rachel, what's up? How you doing? OVO, did you go see Drake last night? I saw Drake Monday. Oh, you saw Drake again? You're a double Draker? Did you see Drake last no, night? Because no. you, oh yeah, you're not even in town. Yeah, I'm there. I'm um, not even here. Like you're 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 a two Drake special. If, if someone wants to take me to the concert, I'm not gonna pass up on a good time. You know why oh, I really damn. went though. You know why, why? I really why? went. Mm-hmm. I left the last concert early, right? Because I I had to be at work the next day. I was doing the View the next day, so I missed Twenty One Savage. So I really wanted to see Twenty One. And I really wanted to see Sexy Red. Oh. Donnie, not, Donnie, give, give, give me a little something real quick, Donnie. My booty all brown, my coochie pink. I ain't never heard that my coochie stink. My cum clear, yo cum green. I'm throwing ass, I'm making the scene. Say, ratchet hoe, but I feel like Kim Kardashian. My pussy good, that's why a bitch stay pregnant. I swallow nut, I really feel like an elephant. Tell Joe Biden I want to suck on the president. talking about right there sexy red ashley is not into it ashley says thumb down ashley jump on yeah, <laughs> that was sukiana uh-uh. <laughs> that was sukiana and, and sexy red ashley you not fucking with that not this morning no <laughs> <laughs> you know why i like you know why i like sexy red why she is unapologetically herself and i can't be mad at that they showed her doing her sound check. She was in a moo-moo with her hair wrapped up. Like the gowns that your, your, your mother, your grandmother used to wear around the house when they were cooking in the morning, well into the afternoon, especially if they were preparing a whole full-out meal. I love that she's just like, this is me. Take yeah, it or leave yeah. it. Yeah, but that's an act, right? Like coming to the sound check and the moo-moo, that's part of it. If it is... I, I, but I, I have to feel like it's her. She was wearing, she had no shoes on. <laughs> to her yeah, before. but that's, but no. that's part of her. It's like when a nigga would come to the, to the joint in a bulletproof vest and people would be like, oh, he's so real. He's got a but bulletproof like, vest on. I'm like, a bu- the bulletproof vest is part of the costume. It's like, but not, I also feel like Hills probably hurt her feet and she's like, I, I do better if barefoot. Like, I, I, I really do. I'm buying into all of that. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm buying into her doing a bit with funny Marco and then her outfit, the bottom of her uh, short said, free my baby daddy. Like I I'm buying into all of it. I'm enjoying watching Sexy Red. I really am. Do your so thing. So you're loosening up. I was never prude. Mm-hmm. I remember we remember the things that have been said on this podcast. If that's if that is her. Great. She's like, do your thing. Um, I, I like I. I'm not don't, a huge fan of singing "Coochie Pink" and "Booty Hole Brown," but I, I like, I like "Sexy Red." Donnie, let's do this. Let's clip that one part. Take out "I'm a fan" and just put. I, I want to. I want a clip of just Rachel. Don't Sandy. do that. No. I don't. Don't do that, Donnie. <laughs> Don, I'm, Donnie. No, I'm serious, Donnie. Don't do Donnie. that. I don't yeah, want Donnie. Okay. I want a no, clip. Yeah, thank you. I can do. What you guys don't understand is I can do it myself. <laughs> it's going don't, viral. What's you know the, what I mean? What's the no? I don't want. It's funny. I don't, it's funny. Van, please don't do that. I don't. It's I, fun. 
It's out it, of context. It, Don't do that. It, it's funny. I'll tell you Don't, what. This is what I'll tell you. You, you real it, stepping into your TMZ days. Don't do that. Never left. For <laughs> never. You guys, you guys. Don't keep, do that though. You guys, I won't. But I, I only, I only sent it to the judge. Um. <laughs> uh oh. Speaking of wholesomeness, I would like to give. Uh, um. A shout out to Charity Lawson. Oh yeah. And uh she chose Nate Burleson on her season of The Bachelor. It does not and, look like Nate Burleson to me. And and they're now getting married. Don't. And it was uh what people were calling, and I wonder how you feel about this, Rach. It's what people were calling black love on The Bachelorette, and everybody was going crazy. Black love, black love, black love. Okay. What are your thoughts on this? What are your thoughts on Charity, I'm, who seems I'm to be happy. a lovely I'm lady? I'm happy for Charity. Everybody mm-hmm. knows I didn't watch the season. I ran into Charity this past weekend. Um, told her that I, I like, I always support you. I'm not going to support you on camera, right? They asked me to come to the Men Tell All. I'm not coming. They asked me to come to, they asked me to do like a, a message for her so they could play it on camera. I'm not doing that. You're not using my name, image, and likeness as a person who's been critical of the show to make it seem like now I'm supportive of it, but I support charity. So like I, I, I told her congrats, how happy I was for her, that I'm here for her. I sent her a message the day of her finale. I texted her, letting her know that I support her. I'm happy for her. I know you would love to get a reaction about me about black love. Yes. Black love is defined as between to black people. So that's why everyone's saying that, even though I'm black and I have love, that's fine. It's, it's the first time that you, well, actually a lot of people were up in arms about this. I actually saw it both ways. People were happy saying charity is the, uh, it's the first time black loves been on the show. There were also people critical because they were like, Nate and Michelle identify as black and found love, even though they're both biracial, which plays into our topic of last week. So if I were Michelle, I wonder how she, that's the person to ask. Mm. People are discrediting your relationship and saying this, even though you and Nate identify as black, your Mm. people are telling you that y'all didn't have black love. This is the first time because these are darker, complexed black people. And it's the first time like Jesse Wu, I got tagged in a post of Jesse Wu, um, was on Dish Nation and she was talking and she was like saying how emotional she was watching The Bachelorette because this is the first time she's seen a dark-skinned woman on the show find love. And a lot of people were like, she's like, this is the first. I felt, I saw someone who looked like me and people were upset and they were like, you're discrediting Rachel. So I kept getting tagged in it. I understood exactly what she was talking about. She was like, Rachel doesn't look like me. And she's like, this, I saw someone who made me feel who, who has the same complexion as me. So I, I, I know you would love for me to have some hot take about how it makes me feel. It's, I'm happy for charity. I'm happy for charity. I'm happy for people like Jesse Wu who felt seen. That's the point of it all. That's the point of it. Is that the point? Congratulations to, to charity. People want to feel seen. People want to feel represented. I think people want to feel seen and they want to feel represented. But I think the point of it all is commerce, right? Selling a show to America, selling a, a certain vision of love to America, like a prepackaged type of deal. Look, I have no problem with it. Uh, it. 
it's you know, like I worked at TMZ. It's the point of TMZ. It's not the news. It's entertainment, right? It's not. It's like it's yeah, it's, it's entertainment. It's, it's, it's entertainment. So it's like you know, I, I, so I think a lot of people glean a lot of different things from it, and I think it's very cool. I think that all of these things are black love. I think it's black love when you uh, found Brian. You're a black woman. You need love. It's black love. I think it's black love when uh, Michelle and Nate, who was Nate, Nate, Nate found love. I think it's black love. I do. I will say this, and this kind of goes back to. Um, the conversation that we had with Mark, which I expect it to be a very hot topic, right? And it was. It was. It was. Yeah, I expected it to be a very hot topic. Look, I remember when Obama was elected. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go back to King Two Toxic. Oh. Yeah, I was in there crying. You know, I was at the house crying, and I called King Toxic. R.I.P. Van Lathan Sr., dear old dad. You can always count on him. Last half, empty Lathan. Okay. <laughs> I remember. Dad goes, son, this is an amazing moment. This is a fantastic moment. I want you to remember where you were and remember how things were when America made this decision. And he said, and I'll tell you what's going to be a even more powerful moment. When some nigga named Larry Jenkins Jr., whose ancestors were slaves, who looks like you or I, who is from Los Angeles, Detroit, New York, Atlanta, Tallahassee, or someplace like that, when he gets elected president. And I'm like, so mad. I'm like, why do you have to be this guy all the time? I'm, why do you have to be this dude? A black man with a black family just got elected president. And he says, I tell you what, it's like steps on a train. I'm like, what? He's like, it's like steps on a train. There's the front of the train car where there's white people. And then there's the middle, the, the middle of the train car uh, where they might let some poor white people. And there's the end of the middle of the train car where they might put some Creole and white passing people. And then there's the back of the train car where the black people are going to be. He was like, America's no different than that. And the last thing they want to do is see themselves represented by somebody from the back of the car. They'll do anything except that. And so, and and so for me, that's what I'm saying. And so for me, I'm very pissed in this moment. I got to be honest with you. I see what he means. I get it. And so when we talk about when we when we when we we talk about like proximity to whiteness, and when we talk about what it means to identify as black, all this stuff, we're really just talking about our trauma and how we feel. So if anybody thought that the conversation uh, last week centered us over people that are biracial, you're right. And I fully own it. I own it. I don't know. Rachel did her best to do what she always does, which is be the voice of reason. I want people to choose me. 
Mm-hmm. I want yeah. America to choose to celebrate and uphold blackness. I want America to say, no, you don't have to be a little bit white to be okay. And I'm not talking about specifically biracial people. I'm just talking about in all things. You don't have to do this to be okay. You can be black and powerful and in this spot and be celebrated and be good. You don't have to be a quarter this, a half this. If you are, that is your story, and I celebrate that. But it's sometimes when we when we talk about whether or not you're black or not, it's something that we don't want people, or at least I can speak for myself. You want people to choose blackness. And I think that's kind of the thing. And that's not fair to people who are biracial because they get their, their entire lives being told who they are, what they should be, and how they should act, and what country is not theirs. Uh, what, what was your takeaways from last week's explosive episode with Marco Hill? I understand everything that you're saying, and I understood exactly where you and Mark were coming from and your perspective is, uh, as, as a Black woman. I, but what, in the same sense that when we talk about other groups that we don't identify with, I say, I don't know what it's like to, to navigate the world as them. I was very particular about the, the way I'm talking about the situation is people who refuse to identify as black, which is where I think the way that you're talking about it and Mark talks about it is important. There was a distinction that was made about you're never telling people, no, I'm not white. I'm biracial. It's no, I'm not black. I'm biracial. And it makes it feel like you don't, you, you so desperately don't want to be affiliated with black. And that's hurtful, especially when that's how you look. Um, but I, back to my original point, I do feel like it was important for me to say, and I do believe this. If you say you feel both, then I'm going to acknowledge that because I don't know what it's like to grow up with a white mother or a white father or navigate a world where you feel a certain, you, you, you identify as black and people want to tell you, black people tell you you're not black enough and white people tell you you're not white enough. I don't know what that's like. So I wanted to leave space and acknowledge like, if you tell me you feel both, then you feel both. But I do have an issue when you absolutely don't want to be black. That's my only thing. But I, I obviously understood the other perspective. Uh, but we thank Mark Lamont Hill, who was a great hang. And we heard all of our listeners. We will never ignore the thought warriors. Okay. Oh, before we move on, any, what do you think about my new slogan? I'll fuck a nigga or a bitch. Tell you something. When I asked some people about this, they were like, you told the story wrong. Yeah, you did tell the story wrong. Wow. You weren't even there. You were at Fuel City, standing on top of the counter, waiting for a taco. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you, I was you on know, top you of a car, not a, not a cat. Hey, <laughs> hey, it's Big Rach. Hey, nigga, want to be a baller? Shot cola, 20-inch blades on an Impala. Cola again. Big Rach, yeah, Rach. That's not what we yeah. were saying. We were singing Southside the Realist. Drug dealer. Yeah. Hey, 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 guys. <laughs> I took... 10,000 cash out of daddy's account. <laughs> this one's on the judge. I love you too. <laughs> Rach, no. I'll tell you what. There is nothing, nothing more fun. See, Rach, can I say something about Rach? Rach, can I say something about you? 
Okay, go ahead. Be honest with you. Rach, you chose black, man. I am honest. black. What do you, you mean? You chose black. It's, it's like, it's, it's like I know that you are black. I'm not saying that you're not black. black. <laughs> I'm just saying you didn't have to be at Fuel City. No, I could have been at First Baptist. Your daddy's the judge, man. You could have been. You ever you see all of these sorority videos from, uh, like a, a in fi in not a nigga, in, in like, <laughs> in, <laughs> like it's all these. That reminded me of Boo Five Boo. Milk it, milk it, milk it. Like, oh. Kids from the streets. Kids from the streets. That's oh, terrible. I loved him. Boo Five Boo. Where is he? Oh, that's my man. Al is oh one of the gosh. Al Sheer. Love oh my God. watching him. Oh. Al is Al is one of the most talented people you will ever meet. I one of the him. most talented. Shout out to Al Sheer. Al is one of the most talented. Move five, move milk it, milk it, milk it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's get yes, to it. Yes, I've seen the bite. To finish your thoughts, sorry, I, I interrupted you. Yes, I've seen these rush videos with these. All white sororities dancing to black music. Dancing to black music, not a nigga. N-A-N sorority. Not a nigga. And if they do, they do. And we know that there's not one because when they do have one, they put them front and center. Come here. Hey. Remember when you thought that I pledged one of those? I did. Remember how how shocked you were when you found out I was a Delta? Nah, man. That's not rage. That's not big rage. I'll tell you what is, Big Rach, watching the Republican presidential debate, which we're going to do and talk about on the other side of this break. Everybody was there except for Donald Trump. Let's do a big deal of the day. Rach, did you watch the debate? I did watch the debate. I did watch it. Your takeaways. It wasn't as explosive as I wanted it to be. This is why, listen, you know, Van loves to say that I love Trump in the same way that he loves Vivek. but. It would have been way more entertaining if Trump was there. And I guess I just wanted, I wanted that fire. I want people to interrupt people. I know you're supposed to be listening to their points, but I want to be entertained at the same time. And I wasn't quite getting that. Shockers for me? Pence. I was shocked by Pence. Pence always to me is very meek and mild presenting. He was getting in there. He was feisty. Some people were calling him angry and defensive. I appreciated. He was quick with it. He was coming at Vivek. And that was a theme, too, that I noticed. Everybody seemed to be on Vivek, who obviously doesn't have the experience in this space, and not DeSantis, which I thought was very telling as well. DeSantis is is right behind Trump. I don't know. After this debate, I read uh, that he and Vivek are neck and neck after the debate. I don't know how true that is. But yeah, he's, as Brett pointed out, 30 to 40 points behind Trump. But I expected DeSantis to stand out more and I expected people to go at him. And they didn't. It seemed to be the Vivek show who seemed to be thoroughly enjoying himself being front and center on stage. He had the center position right next to DeSantis. He was having the time of his life uh, one point that made me cackle was that song. No, what was it? North Men of Rich Men? The, the rich North Men of Rich Men, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. 
had I not heard that song, I couldn't believe that they started off the debate playing that. Uh, Chris Christie was who I thought would be a standout. A little disappointed in Christie. Um, I thought Haley had, um, she had some moments. Now, and I want to preface all this to say, I don't agree with these people. Let me just say that. I'm more talking about who had standout moments, who surprised me, who was a bus, Tim Scott. Um, he loves to play the nice, likable guy. Uh, yeah, like that's, I mean, that's my overall, I guess. It's my, hmm. the overall view. So a couple of takeaways, big and small. Um, it, it was a, a spirited debate, obviously. And that's because mm. the debate it was spirited. The debate to me was akin to what happens when your parents leave the house, right? So your parents leave the house and then the kids start fighting over the Nintendo. As long as your dad's there, your mom's there, they dictate whose turn it is to play the Nintendo. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey, you play the Nintendo and your brother plays the Nintendo, your sister plays the Nintendo, okay? And then when you guys aren't playing, the other one of you go in there and clean that goddamn room up. All right, clean the goddamn room up, come in there and play the Nintendo whole thing. When your parents leave, the authority of the home is in question. So everybody fights for it, but they don't fight for it in any real nourishing way. They fight for it like children fight for it, which is they kind of try to grab the controller from one another. One person cries. The other person says, all you do is suck up to mom and daddy when they're here. A- another person that's quiet tries to act strong and be and physically taken from people. And so no one gets to play the game because all they do is fight for the game the whole day. All you do is fight for the game. Nobody actually gets to play. No one gets the experience. Everybody's fighting for the game. That's what I okay. saw. Okay. Um, everybody's fighting over the Nintendo controller. Last mm-hmm. night. No, mm-hmm. Nobody actually got to play. Uh, <laughs> Um, and it's almost to a situation to where eventually, like you, uh, you just you all decide that actually playing the game is too much. You would rather just no one get a turn, rather than actually have a conversation about how you do it. So this is what I'm saying. I'm saying if you're looking at the Republican Party, right, and you're looking for answers from the Republican Party. I mean, I'm not talking about, I'm not saying that this is specific to the Republican Party, but if you're looking for answers to questions, they showed you last night they're incapable of answering those questions. They are or aren't? They're incapable. Incapable, sorry, yes. So with Donald Trump being gone, you would think that that would be an opportunity for the field to have a, a substantive convo and present a vision for America to not just Republicans, but anybody outside of their primary base that might be considering a vote for one of those people. It just didn't happen. It, it didn't. It, it wasn't a serious discussion in any real way. They would literally ask, you know, what do you think about UFOs and the, the situation that'd be out there? Okay, now let me tell you how Joe Biden is in bed with China and how that relates to, <laughs> to, to the UFO issue. I didn't hear a vision. I didn't hear anything. What I, what I saw was people that were 
trying to hold their nuts and other people that were trying to kick them. And they were trying to have work- moments. Yeah. And they and I'm look, and I'm not saying that that's like so far out of uh out of step with what a debate normally is. I say, I, but I will say that the right keeps squandering the opportunity to prove that they're something other, that they're leaders or something other than people cosplaying as Donald Trump. Do, um, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, do you think that that was hard for them? Maybe. Do you think that they intended to do that, but it became so hard because the Trump was, cl- I mean, the Trump, the crowd was clearly pro-Trump. Anytime somebody said something negative against Trump, there were huge boos to the point where they even had to address the crowd about the boos. Anytime mm-hmm. there was something that was pro-Trump, they went wild. A lot of people said Vivek was acting as a stand-in for Trump. He was just, he was he was Trump because Trump wasn't there. He was saying the things that Trump would say. Um, what do you think about that? Like, Do you think that the the audience played into it where it was it was it it, as a viewer it felt pointless because it was like this audience is clearly pro-Trump like this this almost just seems it it proved his point to not even show up because it wasn't necessary and that was a little tough to watch because the crowd wasn't even giving them the opportunity Hmm. so here's the thing uh sure they're pro-Trump but are you running to be the president of the debate crowd are you are you running to win claps and applause? I mean, at well, some I, point, I, think there was some of that. I mean, obviously there is, but this is this is why the moments that I was impressed by people had to do when people actually had principles and they stuck to them. Like, look, we do like we do. Apo- I am not like the majority of the listeners that that listen to higher learning. I can tell, like, even the ones that aren't like uh acting in bad faith. I'm not like these people. I'm not like a lot of the people. I'm from a a place where I've dealt with a lot of things, seen a lot of things and a lot of stuff doesn't bother me. I like to discuss it, get it out there and move on. I'm not precious about it. And like when you are a person that is going to stand in your skin, that takes a, a a a I wouldn't say courage, but it takes a commitment to what it is that you believe in. You think that you're doing your best. And if you just pantomime and put things out there um, and you're a populist in not just politics, but in thoughts, that demonstrates weakness to me. And what I saw was a field that was weak. A lot of people who don't who don't have any identity, who don't seem inspired, even Vivek Ramaswamy, who is by far the most uh, magnetic order of the group, when he was up against other people that were pushing back on him like in that type of arena at times he looked small he looked petulant he looked petty he didn't look like he had a vision he looked like he did a google search looked at all of the things that republican uh voters would want and then just became that absolutely you know what i mean uh, and 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 it's he's afforded that luxury because um he doesn't have any political skin in the game in terms of a voting record or a record of service so because of that, he can say things and float them out as being a revolutionary, uh, defend them in um, a pseudo-intellectual way that sometimes skirts or um, doesn't even approach 
or contend with the actual reality of American domestic or foreign policy. You know, it's easy to say, hey, back off Putin, and that'll bring Putin back to the U.S. Uh, in terms of being allied. That'll bring him back to us, and it'll put some distance between him and China. I just would want anybody to ask one question is give me in a give me a historical example of a traditional strongman type who was grabbing up land invading people with no cause i'm talking about your saddam husseins talking about your hitlers i'm talking about whomever whoever whomever you might use give me an example where appeasement has ever worked like ever worked yeah like like ever work you sound like neville chamberlain when you're up there talking but give me an example where appeasement has ever worked and you know rather than have that conversation conversation will get back to you know what your experience is just give me tell me one time where appeasing a strong man somebody who walks all over other people uh in other parts of the world where they've stopped once we've given them what they wanted it's just not in the makeup of these people but it's something that he can say because the narrative that's being spun by Trump world is that what we're doing in Ukraine um, doesn't benefit us and Vladimir Putin doesn't need to be dealt with or contended with. Now, look, we can have a conversation in good faith about how much we owe the Ukrainians in terms of their defense and what we owe to our citizens here at home, and that's fine. But acting as if if we give Vladimir Putin what he wants, that he'll suddenly become our friend, to me, is is, is pretty stupid. Well, and that's why it, I thought one of the most powerful points, uh, moments in the whole debate was that back and forth between Vivek and Haley, Nikki Haley. I, when she she called him out, she spoke to her experience. Um, Pence did it as well, but spoke to their experience and pointed out the fact that he has no idea what he's talking about and it doesn't make any sense. And I thought that, that was one of the most powerful point moments in the debate. And he had nothing for her. There was nothing he yeah. could say. Yeah, and Ramaswamy is also a, like a neophyte, right? He goes like, I'll pardon Trump day one. That's what the audience wants to hear. Mike Pence kind of ate his lunch because Mike, Mike Pence then goes, oh, how do I know if I'm going to pardon him? Like, the trial hasn't happened. He so, said he doesn't know if he's going to be found guilty yet. Yeah, he doesn't know if he's going to be found guilty yet. But look, when he says he doesn't know whether or not he's going to found be found guilty yet, that means, number one, I can't say that I'm going to pardon him because I don't know if he's going to be found guilty. And then number two, we don't know what's going to be discovered at trial. We don't know how this is going to go. So to say that you're going to pardon somebody no matter what prior to all of this stuff is pretty cartoonish. It's It's definitely something that you're just saying for... For the people. And it doesn't demonstrate a political spine at all. Uh, now, we move to DeSantis because DeSantis was somebody who everybody had their eye on in a debate. Uh, I, 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 I really feel like DeSantis is a T-1000 Terminator. Yeah. He is not he, comfortable he, in his own skin. <laughs> is that like a real human being? So, it, it, like, <laughs> DeSantis' policy points... Um, and what he wants to talk about are so lacking. He is the most charismaless human mm -hmm. being I think I've ever seen. I, I, I can't think of anybody that I'm like, God damn, that nigga got gears and, and artificial fluid inside of his body. As I, I don't see how America ever elects Ron DeSantis as president. And Florida 
God damn. You're, you're, uh, Florida, y'all wilding down there, bro. You know, I know. <laughs> Joy Reid had a really good comment. I'm going to butcher it. But she said, there are people who, you know, voted for DeSantis or believe he could win the president. And she goes, and then there are people that have met him. And then basically saying exactly what you're saying. There is something off, weird. And the more we're exposed to DeSantis, the more that we're like, what is is wrong with him? Even the things that he was saying, people were like, he's said all of this before. If you follow DeSantis and you watch his speeches, he's literally quoting the same lines. His funny moments have already been used in other speeches. Like he's, he truly is just a machine saying whatever he practiced in his debate prep is exactly what he was saying on stage. He wasn't responding to anything directly. He wasn't quick on his feet. He just is so awkward. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say this, though. In the grand scheme of things, the fact that he didn't crash and burn in a more spectacular way is probably a win for him. Uh, I don't think very many people were expecting a lot from Ron DeSantis. Uh, I think there's some talk about what his donors might be doing and uh, how they are going to react to or how they were going to react to a poor showing in the debates. I don't think that anybody's jumping off the Ron DeSantis train that was actually pretty firmly on it. But the fact that this wasn't the end of his campaign is probably somewhat going to help him. It seemed Um, like the... I think it it, was. I think it didn't do anything for him. I actually think it made, I was reading stuff that it, it not, maybe not a crash and burn, but it was definitely a crash. There was a lot of hype around the fact that DeSantis was going to be the guy that people were going to go after and that it was his, I think it was even coming from his campaign that he was going to bring it at the debate and he didn't. He was not memorable. What, what came out was uh, some talking points that one of his super PACs put up. And it was what they feel like he should have done in debate. And one of them was to hammer Vivek Ramaswamy, which he didn't really do. There wasn't no. really a lot of crosstalk between him and Vivek. It was actually between Vivek and Mike Pence and a little bit between uh, uh, Vivek and, and Chris Christie. Uh, DeSantis seemed to lean on his record as governor of Florida. He made a couple of very concerted political um, decisions. One was to uh, not raise his hand when it comes to climate change. That's a precarious situation for him to be in. They they asked if you think climate change is man-made, which would then lend itself to the idea that we should prioritize legislation uh, and different policy to address climate change as an existential threat, not just to America, but to the world, particularly in different parts of the uh, mainland here where climate change is impacting people's lives on a daily basis, Florida being one of those places. It didn't seem like that was something that he felt comfortable raising his hand on um, that might come back to bite him in his ass in either his state or perhaps in a general election. The one, the, the person that was most gleefully raising their hand before they blamed India or China or whatever, or the boogeyman, and like just completely um, shirked America's responsibility to, to lead the world as far as climate legislation and activism was Vivek Ramaswamy who put his hand up. It's a hoax. It doesn't, but doesn't believe in it at all. Once, once again, a very easy, uh, a very easy position to take for somebody who, who hadn't even voted 
in the didn't even vote in the last election. So he, he, you know, he just doesn't have a lot of skin in the game, so he can say whatever he wants. Uh, I think Tim Scott learned a lesson last night, um, and this, the the Republicans are not going to uh, vote for a magical Negro. You're not going to magical Negro your way into the presidency from that side of things. Um, they're not going to go for that. Right. There have been various magical Negroes that have attempted to be that for the Republican Party. You know, the legend of Bagger Vance type nigga who uh, packs your, 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 who tells America, hey, just a little bit to the left and it'll curve back for you. And that Morgan Freeman from fucking Million Dollar Baby or whoever, you know, that that guy that the Republicans are going to turn America over to that guy, it's not going to happen. So Tim Scott wants to be the president of the United States. If he wants the nomination from that party, he's going to have to take it. And then he's not going to take it by standing up there and being a toothless colored man. He's going to have to dig down. dancing. Yeah, he's going to have to dig down deep, 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 and really act like he has some sort of spine or backbone. But he looked pathetic up there. Yeah, he he was up there tap dancing, trying to make people laugh. He 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 also felt like for someone who does have political experience, he felt like he Googled what are the talking points and what do I need to say? And and that was even summed up in how when he had his last 45 seconds to talk about what his vision was and to sum up what he would do as the president. He literally went down the checklist and then once again tap dance and tried to make them laugh. I do want to say this about Ron DeSantis when you talked about hand raising. The big moment when they talked about who would support Trump if he is the one that is elected to represent the party or wins the primary. Vivek threw his hand up immediately. Nikki Haley did. Tim Scott did. And Ron DeSantis looked from left to right to see who had their hand up before he even raised his hand. Another moment of not standing firm, stepping out, showing that he's a leader, asserting authority. He waited to see what everybody else was doing before he did it himself. It was a moment that was really talked about. Mm. I'm telling you, more we see him. He's a, wow. uh, that moment was interesting because the, the, I think the exact question was, would you still nominate Trump if he was convicted of a crime? Uh, I don't think that was the question. That was because the, th- the, there was the pardon one. It wasn't if he was nominated, because they specifically asked about the pardons and the crimes, but I think this was, I thought, I thought they said, and Donnie Ashley, please step in if you know. I thought they were saying he's obviously not here, you know. And and one of the things to stand on the stage was that you had to say you would support um, the nominee of the Republican Party, um, whoever is chosen, and he wouldn't do that. And it's like, w- would you support him? That's what I thought the question was. Mm. And DeSantis looked around because he's mm. he's already said he would pardon him and support him, yeah. but he looked around before he said he would raise before he. Uh, to see what everybody else was doing. That's DeSantis. A um, person who sees what everybody else is doing, what's popular before he steps out and makes his own decision. Yeah, he doesn't have very much of, of an identity. He is trying at this point to convince people that he is who they thought he was. Mm-hmm. Um, he's taken on a lot of battles and he's lost these battles. He's probably going to lose the battle with the two elected prosecutors, duly elected. Remember, this is the party oh, of the yeah, Constitution. This is the party of the Constitution, the party of, of 
of states' rights, and he is ignoring a free and fair election in his own state. They are subverting the Constitution for their own strongman, you know, lending themselves to fascism every single day. Um, and so, you know, that's probably not going to hold up when it gets through to the courts. So he is attempting to prove to people that his war on woke, which is an abject failure nationally and has caused a mini revolt from many of his own supporters in Florida. I think he's a weakened candidate from his presidential race um, in his own state. Um, I'd be interested to see what the polling on Ron DeSantis is and how he's going to win back a lot of Florida when he's obviously become a huge, huge negative for the state in terms of not only perception, but also economics uh, by alienating the one of the biggest employers in the entire state. So, you know, he doesn't seem to have very much going on. Last thing I'll say about the debate before we get to Trump is Asa Hutchinson. Asa Hutchinson is terrifying looking. It's terrifying. That's your last point. <laughs> like Asa Hutchinson. And Donnie, I want you to put a picture up of Asa Hutchinson looking like a fucking vampire from True Blood. I was legitimately scared. I was shooting bet on black all day long. I had to watch the debate like late, late. It's dark. I'm looking at Asa Hutchinson and I'm like, yo, this is nightmare fuel. I don't know how they made him up. I don't know what the fuck was going on. But this motherfucker is I want to suck your blood. Yeah, am I tripping? <laughs> Donnie, did you see the debate? Did you see Asa Hutchinson? He looked terrifying, bro. He didn't look scary to me, but if we're talking about looks, uh, Doug Burgum, the other guy, he, he, looked, he was hilarious. Yeah, he was it hilarious. was funny because I, I remember somebody was repeating Super Pack puppets, Super Pack puppets, and then we cut to Doug Burgum and he answered a question, and I'm like, this man looks like an actual Muppet, and it's especially because of his eyebrows. It shallow. was the eyes. It was all in the eyes. You're right, Donnie. It was. And then like he didn't have the charisma that the other people had. So it was like, I was like, is he reading a teleprompter? Is he? He was just so different from the rest. And him saying he li- he's from a town of 300 people and represents the state of North Dakota did not help. You're right, Donnie. He, he was the one. Asa just that, like an old white was, man there to was, me. There was, there was one shot where people were actually like, like l- laughing because he was standing there and he's kind of his lips or whatever and people and it was on he's funny looking he's hilarious Who? to me the uh Who's the guy from South Dakota he's funny North Dakota Doug North Dakota Doug he's funny guy he's funny guy oh Dougie Doug all right um Trump was on uh with Tucker Carlson last night did you watch it no mm, didn't see one second of it my Twitter is broken and it won't work and so I didn't get a chance to see it. Uh, I don't fucking care. There's really not a lot that Donald Trump can offer right now. Exactly. I think the main thing was him trying to steal the thunder of the debates. And I'm not quite certain that he was able to do that. They got, I think, around 80 million views. But I don't know if, I mean, that's a shit ton of people watching your shit, without a doubt. Mm -hmm. It's a shit ton of Mm -hmm. people watching your shit. I'm not sure when they watched it. Watched it a little bit after. Sure. Um, But I do think the talk of the night last night was the debates. So if Trump's goal was to cut their legs off, I don't think it worked. What about you, Rich? I had to search for it. 
It, it it wasn't popping up. I mean, the debate was number one. DeSantis was trending. Nikki Haley, that's what people seem to be talking about. And I think to your point, people might have gone back and watched this later. Uh, I didn't want to give it the views. Not like my one view didn't matter when 80 million people apparently watched it or at least pressed play at one point. But I just felt like it was a waste of my time because we were going to get the same rhetoric we always get from Trump. And to me, it's hard to watch Trump and Tucker when Tucker's emails and text messages have come out and we know how he truly feels about Trump. So just this whole display of trying to, Tucker trying to get, you know, views and ratings since he's not on Fox News and Trump trying to disrupt the debate because he chose not to go to it. I, I just, it, to me, it didn't serve any purpose for me. I didn't feel like we were, I was going to get anything that I needed one to either talk about here today or that I needed to know in preparation for this upcoming election. It was just a way for Trump and Tucker to get people to watch them because they're so self-absorbed. I just, there you go. And, and then when I, when I read the recap, I was like, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Tucker Carlson is the Chris Paul of interviewing. He gives you more assist than anybody. Okay, there's not I even was a, like what I was like, what got you? He's not even like an interviewer <laughs> as much as he is a setup man. Yeah. And he Donald and Trump. successful. They 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 score a bucket every single time. Yeah. <laughs> for for him. For him. You know, there's a lot of talk that Mike Pence is a sniveling coward who didn't do his constitutional duty that day. I mean, that seems to be what a lot of people think is. Is that what you think? Is Mike Pence a sniveling coward who didn't do his constitutional duty that day? That's the way it feels to me. And then, and then, and then Donald Trump goes, oh, "Yes, he's a, definitely a sniveling coward. We had the biggest crowds, <laughs> the biggest rallies." All right, that's enough. Um, rest in peace to Yevgeny Yevgeny Prigozhin. He's dead. Um, the leader of the Wagner Group, who staged what some believed was a failed military coup <clears throat> earlier. He marched on Moscow. The Wagner group is a private army army that uh, operates there in Russia and Ukraine. It's really been doing a lot of the heavy lifting for the Russian forces in the war in Ukraine. It was reported yesterday that he is presumed dead Wednesday, Wednesday, when you guys will be listening to this after a plane North of Moscow crashed, and killed all people on board. Prigozhin was on the plane according to the Russian Civil Aviation Agency, which cited the airline. Uh, if this was a coincidence, it would be, it's not a fucking coincidence. They killed this mm -hmm. motherfucker. Um, Putin had called him treasonous and said that the Wagner Group's action was a rebellion and said that it was a stab in the back, vowed to avenge it, and it looks like he did. Here's the thing about mm -hmm. Vladimir Putin. Doesn't fuck around. Doesn't mince words. He doesn't like you. He kills you. Classic strongman situation. Rach, do you have thoughts about the death of Pogosian and what this means for the Wagner group or uh, what happens next there? I don't know what happens for the Wagner group, but I, I mean, I either think that they will cease to exist or they'll fall in line, which is, I think, Oh, no, the they won't cease to exist. Well, then they'll fall in line, which is the whole point of... Yeah. Of... Putin doing this to reassert his power. There was a lot of mm -hmm. talk about the fact that Prigozhin embarrassed him just by 
you know, gathering these troops and, and, and the, the coup that was started, but didn't get to where it was supposed to. The fact that Putin, that Prigozhin was still alive. I mean, it was two months later that this happened, but was still alive. Um, even though they, and he allowed him to leave. Um, people who, who, you know, follow Putin and what he does. I didn't even know this. There's something called, there's something called like the Russian death syndrome. That's what, I guess people call it in the media where these Russian officials, you know, like mysteriously fall out of windows or commit suicide. And, and, you know, there's no like reason behind it. And they, you know, attribute this to something that, you know, Putin is behind. So there's a lot of obviously speculation that, uh, or questioning why Prigozhin was still alive. So it wasn't shocking, even though, you know, you don't, I don't wish death upon anyone. But I think the fact that Prigozhin kept popping up in Russia and seemed to not have Putin just didn't seem to be doing anything. And this was so uncharacteristic of him. So yeah, I mean, it's not surprising. I do want to say that people, but it is coming from Wagner channels. I believe that they're saying that um, they did hear shots. There are witnesses who are saying that this, this plane was shot down and that there were witnesses that reportedly heard two bangs before the aircraft fell from the sky, which plays um, into the fact that Putin or the Russian government was behind it. Vagi, vagi. Uh, we'll see what happens now. I'm sure there'll be some sort of power struggle. It's not the type of place that has a clear line of succession. Uh, Prigozhin was the second leader of the Wagner group. Um, the other guy mysteriously vanished went away and then Prigozhin took over. Uh, we'll see what this means uh, in terms of weakening Putin or, or strengthening him. Look, it's, these are the types of things you have to remember. Uh, you know, it's interesting. Rach, you know, I, it, I'm in an interesting place. Okay. Real quick before we get to Aniston, I want you, I want all the thought warriors to to come with me on this little ride. Okay, so I think about Saudi Arabia, right? Mm-hmm. I think about what's going on with Saudi Arabia, live golf, different situations like that. Saudi Arabia wants to have an increased presence in Western culture. They want to use Western culture to evangelize to the world, to open up Saudi Arabia so they can become a place where we go to have fun. Obviously, there's problematic things that go on in Saudi Arabia, so that seems like a non-starter for many people. I've talked about the Saudis buying the WNBA, talked about other things. And let me tell you why I talk about that. And I'll tell you how it relates to Russia and some of the things that go on, some of the criticisms that I have. You know, what I was about to do is I was about to criticize Vladimir Putin for being someone who kills his political enemies. Uh, and being somebody who wields such authoritarian power over his government uh, that he's obviously a bad guy. As a citizen of this country, watching what we do to political dissidents, watching what we do to uh, people who uh, we don't think matter in this country, it's getting increasingly tougher for me to, in good faith, look down my nose at these other places that are simply more uh, obvious in the way that they oppress their citizenry. 
Like it, it's they're just they lie less. They're a little bit more open about how they kill people that they don't like. They're a little bit more open about how they treat gay people. They're a little bit more open about how they treat women. They don't hide it behind uh, some of the things that we do. Or if they do, they just out and out say it. This is outlawed in this book, so you can't do it in the world. And what we do is we tiptoe and kowtow around it when really it seems like we're seeking to lead the world in repression as well. So when I look at what Putin did to Prigozhin and how bad Putin is and the fact that they poisoned a man who was a leading anti-Russian thinker and now have this man imprisoned, this 47-year-old man who is not in great health, is a prisoner of conscience, all the stuff that they do. I don't know. The older I get, the more cynical I get about us being the group over here that has the moral authority to tell the rest of the world what it is that they're doing wrong. Am I being a dickhead about this? No, I mean, your point is that you wish that over here we were, we weren't acting holier than thou and we were more upfront about the way that we oppress, this country oppresses American citizens for various reasons. Totally get it. I, the only thing I would say is I still look my nose, I still look down on the other countries, foreign countries that do oppress other people just for being who they are or for standing up to a corrupt government or whatever it may be. I still look down on that, but I think both can be true, but also look down on the fact that we want to act like our shit doesn't stink when so many people over here are suffering and oppressed. Whether I, what I do think this country thinks is that maybe we are, but not to the level that the other countries are. We don't do, I, I wouldn't be shocked if they're like, well, sure, people are oppressed everywhere, but we don't do it like the other countries do. You know, because we have the yeah. American dream here and it's almost your fault if you can't pick yourself up and get it together. Like our, like our friend Tim Scott last night at the debate, right? My mother, you know, he loves that. My mother worked this many hours and this many jobs and made me feel like I could do anything. Vivek had the same sentiment. My parents immigrated here for 40 years. They had nothing. And now I've created billion dollar companies. That's the thing. That's the American lie that we tell each other is that the American dream, if you're oppressed, that's your fault. I think even Vivek said something about capitalism and I actually wrote it down. I don't want to say it wrong. We'll do it when we talk to him, discuss it. But I think that's the lie we tell ourselves, right? It's your, it's your fault you're oppressed. Like it, you, in 2023, there's no reason, right? There's no racism. If you're poor, that's your fault. <laughs> Honestly, that's almost how we, we deal with things here. And I think that's why we think we're better than other countries. It's not well, our fault, I mean- it's yours. Look, we're rich, we're certainly richer than other countries, without a doubt. We're certainly richer than other countries, and with mm-hmm. a certain level of wealth. Um, when I say richer, I mean overall. With, like with a certain level of wealth, there comes more access to different things. There's a certain contemporary com- cosmopolitan existence that America is always going to have because of its place in the world. But I, I but it's, you know, it's what I'm trying to say inartfully is that it's when you look at the raw numbers of the experience of living in America, when you look at it, it's a sliding scale of inequality that 
doesn't have very much to do with anything other than the way we've been been able to exploit the rest of the world for our own riches. Um, the systems here that are designed and work very well to keep women in the back of the bus, to uh, keep black people in the back of the bus, to siphon wealth and deliver it to the richest people on the planet, to shrink the middle class, to have people in a situation where they can't afford health care. Like real third world country, excuse me for using that term, um, type of structures everywhere you look. Like real terrible, bad shit in a country this wealthy where people don't have clean water to drink. Flint, Mississippi, other places. Epidemic violence in some places because of poverty and, you know, systemic cracks, failures, culture issues everywhere. Uh, I just, it, you know, it's fucked up all over. I just don't want to do it anymore. And when we talk about even invading places that, uh, that are sovereign and trying to destabilize them and take them over, yo, we did that. We did it in Iraq. We do it through proxy all over the world. We're real good at hiding it. But, yeah, Poon's an asshole. Prigozhin was his, was his enemy, and he, he, he killed him. How many people that we just went over and droned the shit out of them, blew up their whole mm-hmm. families? Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, Absolutely. I, like, I get it. I get it. So don't take the money from Live Golf. Don't do any of that stuff or do it. <laughs> what I mean, what difference does it make or, or, or do it? You, you, you know, it's, I understand it's what you're saying. all about the, the oil, the gas and the cash anyway. So I think your personal moral beliefs are going to be much more important in terms of the way I look at the world than being a mascot from some utopian culture that you're supposed to represent that really doesn't exist now and never has in a real way. Mm -hmm. Um, Anyway, Jennifer Aniston hates cancel culture. Cancel culture, she's over it. She learned her lesson about cancel culture. She said with an interview with the Wall Street. Just what she said. Did she learn a lesson? That's what she said. She said she hates it, Rachel. She's sick of it, goddammit. She's taking a stand. She, in an interview with the Wall Street Journal, she said she's so over it at this point. I probably just got canceled by saying that. Oh, daddy. I just don't understand what it means. Is there no redemption? I don't know. I don't put everybody in the Harvey Weinstein basket. Uh, obviously, this comes after Jamie Foxx. Look, here's the thing. I like Jennifer Aniston overall. I think she's been sure. cool, cool, cool lady for a very, very long time. Does it bother you? Forget about the Jamie situation for a second. Are we just reflexively bothered when someone rails against cancel culture? Does it feel like what they're saying is I'm sick of accountability or has cancel culture in and of itself, what that means, the sort of societal definition of that, has it reached a point to where we can actually talk um, in an intellectual way about whether or not it serves us? Well, first off, Jennifer Aniston didn't get canceled. Mm. Let's just start there. So obviously this is coming off of Jamie Foxx. So just to mention that, as you said, and this is a purposeful interview to 
talk about it in a roundabout way. And the reason I said that she did, she learn her lesson from it is because she didn't address it specifically and she didn't apologize for, you know, her part in that debacle and her contributing to this narrative that Jamie Foxx is anti-Semitic, but she wasn't canceled. I just want to be very clear about that. Do I think that we can have a conversation about cancel culture? Absolutely. I do think to her point that cancel culture has gotten out of control, right? You know, she says she jumps to the extreme of, I don't put everybody in the Harvey Weinstein um, basket. Well, that you can do things that are offensive that don't go to that extreme. But so I don't think that she's necessarily having that conversation here, but I do think that we can have it because I think we can all agree that people are too quick to throw the word canceled out there, to cancel someone without actually understanding or having a conversation about what was done, how did it affect the context and the context of it. So yes, to answer your question, I do think that we can have those conversations because I do think people are tired of it in general. I'm tired of the way that she addressed it here. You weren't canceled. So So it's your, you think that she's referring to her situation in this, that she hates cancel culture. Why else would she be talking about it? She wasn't canceled. She was talked about, right? Perhaps, perhaps she was in a very passive aggressive way, trying to throw a life raft to Jamie and saying, hey, that I hate the way people jump on people and I don't want to talk about it. Maybe she thought that was going to be the theme. Oh, you think that was her way of taking up for Jamie? I don't don't like, I don't don't like passive aggressive. I don't like it. it either. Uh, okay, so here's my thing about cancel culture is that it's like not a real thing. So it doesn't exist. It's not a thing. It's uh, when I hear somebody say real against cancel culture, you might as well say woke mind virus. I mean, woke mind virus is not a thing. It's a boogeyman that's been made up from a bunch of people who don't like it when people have negative things to say about the history of the country or the systems that work inside of that country or Mm -hmm. their identity inside of that country. And cancel culture is a way most of the time when people say that or use that, it's a way for people to say, shut up and let me do what the fuck I want to do. The reality is nobody got canceled. They didn't cancel anyone. They canceled a couple guys. I would say that fucking, uh, I would say that fucking Weinstein got canceled. You know what I'm saying? I would say It's hard to even say he got canceled. He got convicted. What I'm saying is his shit is done. Yeah. Like that's a true cancel. His shit is done. R. Kelly, canceled. His shit is done. Like Bill Cosby for all intents and purposes is done. A lot of these other people that we're talking about, a lot of these other people that we're talking about that quote unquote are canceled, like Lucy K didn't get canceled. Lucy K hanging out with Dave Chappelle, bounced back. These guys didn't get canceled. These guys didn't get canceled. Like They got talked about. I had a I had a pause. conversation I had a conversation with somebody that said that Candace Owens is canceled. Oh, just talking to uh, Adam on No Jumper. It's like it's like Candace Owens has been canceled. How the fuck could she be canceled? Like how how the fuck could somebody like that be canceled? A best selling book, all of this. Nobody gets canceled. No. Like I no. do. I think that people are graceless in the way that they deal with a lot of mistakes that people make. And do I think that there's a lack of nuance? Without a doubt. But I do think that sometimes people are against living in a society where somebody can speak back to you. Hell, you know who who has a problem with that sometimes? Me. I get on this mic and I talk a bunch of shit. And the moment sometimes that somebody talks any shit about me, 
I cop a plea. It happens. I'm a human being, right? But what you have to continue to do is challenge yourself to remember that you're not speaking into the abyss. Like people going to talk back and they're going to tell you, hey, we don't like it. And if you set a standard for yourself, people are going to try to hold you to it. The part that I don't like is we will all fall short of the standard we hold for ourselves. All of us will. We will all be worse than what we want to be and worse than what we say that we are. The question is, can you accept that about me? Can you accept that about me that I'm going to be worse than I want to be and worse than what I say I am? Can you accept that about me? Can I accept that about you? Because that's what a community is. It's not accepting people when they are always at their best. It's rules, consequences, and conversations that allow us to accept each other, period. And sometimes when we're at our worst. So I think sometimes people, there are, there are a group of people, don't get me wrong, that act in bad faith, that are on there and make their whole persona about who's trash this week. Mm-hmm. And I think those people are probably dealing with their own trauma and their own issues. So yeah, I get that. But acting like there's some big bad group out here. Man, Hulk Hogan said that, Hulk Hogan said, I don't want my daughter to fuck no niggers. Do you understand this? Like, I want people to say, Hulk Hogan said, I don't want my daughter to fuck no niggers. Basically, what he's saying. Even if you got a fucking nigger, fuck one of these six, seven niggers that be out there playing basketball. He, this is what he said, came out. Hulk Hogan, go do your thing, make your rounds. He didn't have to go sit down with fucking Farrakhan or Jesse Jackson or nothing. Hey, I'm sorry. My bad. The hoaxer was having a bad fucking day, brother. Eat, uh, <laughs> say your prayers, eat your vitamins. I'm back with the WWE. Nobody's canceled. They don't cancel yeah. you. Deshaun fucking Watson. 60 different women alleged that he in some way assaulted them. Some women say he put out his dick and nutted on him. This motherfucker got $250 million. Guaranteed. Like, what are we talking about? It's a bunch of bullshit. They don't cancel nobody. Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson. You got that. Mel Gibson. You got that one in my head. Man, what, you guys, listen, the single most racist statement ever made in the world. I don't care what none of y'all say. (laughs) The single most racist statement ever made. If you get raped by a pack of niggers, It'll be your fault. That's the single most racist statement that's ever been made. I don't care what anybody else say. Nominated for Academy Award, Hacksaw Ridge. Even, even Kramer, who (laughs) threatened to lynch somebody at his show. Now, Kramer hasn't been the same, I'll be honest with that, but he comes back up, he's on Curb Your Enthusiasm. You know, it's, they don't cancel nobody. It doesn't happen. So when you rail against cancel culture, what you're really saying is, I'm sick of these motherfuckers holding me accountable and having an opinion about me. Yeah, you know? agree. And I, I think we should be able to have a conversation about, hey, how do we talk about these things in ways that are nuanced and nourishing so that people understand that I'm not just looking to cut you down to make my, myself look better. But at the same time, Jennifer Aniston, come on, man. I've been with you for a long time, Jenny. You know, the hair. I remember it. Friends was the whole thing. Remember the Brad Pitt situation? We was with you. And then, see, for a second, people were mad at Brad and Angelina 
quote unquote, they were getting canceled because they dissed America's sweetheart, Jennifer Aniston. All it took was a couple of pictures and we was like, these niggas are too beautiful to cancel. We can't do it. We love them. <laughs> anyway. Um, all right. Look, I'll talk about Dak Prescott real quick. I'll, I'll save Halle Berry and uh, men's rights for another for another one. Not men's rights. Okay. Halle yeah, Berry yeah, paying. We got to go. She, she paying that $8,000. That's what you get. It's good for the goose. It's good for the gander. Okay. That's what you get. <laughs> no, it fucking sucks. But it is funny watching. It it it, it does suck. It does suck. It, it it sucks because she made some really explosive allegations against Olivier Martinez. We know that Olivier Martinez has been violence, uh, violent against people in Halle Berry's life before. She's made some really explosive allegations about uh, of racism and abuse against him. Um, so the reality is the fact that she has to pay him now seems like a kick in the face. We'll talk about that a little bit later, but I want to talk about Dak Prescott. Ashley Baker, shout out to Ashley Baker. Okay. Uh, the nothing but sports podcast. She appeared on red zone after dark where she discussed fans not having the same energy for Dak Prescott as they do for other black quarterbacks in the NFL. I would like to say that I think Ashley Baker is doing a fantastic job. She consistently says things about sports um, that make me think, and it, she is definitely worth a follow on Twitter. Donna, give me the audio. I just want that same energy for Dak because, and 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 this this is gonna ruffle a little feathers. Feel free to clip this. <laughs> that same energy of wanting him to succeed that you have for Lamar, and I'll take your bias out of it because you're a Commanders fan. Obviously, yeah, you're not yeah. looking for Dallas to have too much success to an extent. But it's not that same energy for Dak because he doesn't look like doesn't look, us. Yeah, like us. Exactly. That's true. He is us, but he don't look he don't like, like us. us. You know what I mean. Y'all yeah, know what I definitely. mean. Y'all know what most I mean. Definitely. Patrick Mahomes is us, but he don't look like us. Hmm. Um, Rachel. Hmm. Your thoughts on this? You're a Cowboys fan. Okay. I am a Cowboys fan. I think it's the reason what she's saying, there is truth to that, right? People don't have the same energy or support Dak in the same way that they that they do like a Lamar Jackson. Um, I don't think it's because Dak doesn't look like us. I think it's a couple of things. I think it's because when there have been times to stand up or to have a strong stance about things that are happening to Black people in your industry, you've not stood up. I think that's part of the reason um, that people feel that way. It's not just because of the way he looks. It's not because he's biracial. Uh, it's because when there's been times to stand up, he hasn't. He seems to go along with the flow. He seems to support the franchise. He seems to be like, be the good old boy that does exactly what he's supposed to do. And I think that's one of the reasons. I also think that as a Cowboys fan, everybody hates him. Like, I mean, everybody hates us, right? People love to hate the Cowboys and everything that Dak does is amplified. Uh, people either, people love the Cowboys and they hate the Cowboys and they love the began. It's what people do. Everybody loves to pile on. Everything that Dak does is under scrutiny. And so I just think that it's, you can't also talk, you can't talk about Dak and that he doesn't look like us without not, not also talking about the fact that he wears the star. 
that he's a cowboy. People are going to treat a, a quarterback of the Cowboys totally different than they treat any other quarterbacks because, yes, we are America's team and people love to hate on us. We are, Van. <laughs> you can chuckle and laugh all you want. We are. And there's just a certain level uh, like of uh, of scrutiny, like I said, against Dallas Cowboys players, period. And Dak falls into that. So I think it's several things. Oh, okay, a couple of things. Number one, like the Cowboy America's team thing is so hilarious. We are. To me. Okay, so here's the thing. We never really fuck with the Cowboys like that, ever. See what I'm saying? What I tell you about haters? I'm just going to be, I'm just being real with you. Who's we? Like, Niggas in general. Never fuck with the Cowboys like that. Never. Like, niggas in general have never fucked with the Cowboys. I, I'm, so, I'm sorry to break the Cowboy fence. Back, so back in the 90s? No. 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 The Cowboys were a popular team, for sure. But when you look at individual players, right? Niggas always been... This is what I say. We always been more Barry Sanders than Emmitt Smith. Always. We always been more Joe Montana, Steve Young than Troy Aikman. Always. Always. Always Irving, been more. Irving too? Irving too. Irving, he was cool. He like he was cool, but we been we was more Jerry Rice than Michael Irving. For sure. Without a doubt, always been more. Like, the Cowboys haven't really had no players like that that we have really... The only guy that they've really had, maybe two guys that the Cowboys had that really have had the culture and the chokehold, that's Deion Sanders and T.O. And both of those guys played for multiple teams. So it was more about them being them than them being Cowboys. The Cowboys have never drafted just one of those dudes. They ain't got no Vic. You know what I'm saying? They ain't got no Barry Sanders. They ain't got no Odell Beckham Jr. They ain't got no Lamar Jackson. They never had nobody that we gravitated toward. Yeah, it's a Tony Romo franchise. Mm. Like, oh, okay, he, I got, that guy's cool. I, I like him. He's cool. Tony mm. Romo, to be honest with you, Tony Romo is cooler than 90% of the Cowboys. He's just a cool guy. Cool dude. Tony Dorsett? Tony Dorsett, like, maybe back in, that's before my time, maybe back in the day. But I, maybe, you, this is true. You are such like, a hater. I, like, I'm not a hater. You I, know I, what I, the Cowboys well, are? Somebody the Cowboys from Texas, um, somebody from Dallas would not, say, would not speak of it this way. These guys were the guys. They, like, I'm sorry. Look, the Cowboys aren't America's team. Really, the Cowboys are white supremacy's team. <laughs> they re I'm just being for real. The Cowboys represent well, if the you say whitest team, I like mean, the, the, they are the whitest of the white organizations. All of these organizations are white. All of them are. But the Cowboys wear it with a certain degree of pride. It's so easy. And let me tell you something else about them. They haven't been relevant in actual football sports in so long. They're, actual football sport of games. So. I listen, have we been Actual good? football no. sport of game. They have haven't been, been relevant. relevant in so in sport of always, game of football. Are you they kidding They haven't. To, we are Cowboys, always a topic of conversation. People always want to talk about Dak. People, no, they, are you kidding me? You, do you know we, why? Jerry you know why? Jones. We are the always a topic of conversation. I'll agree with you. Not good. The, the Cowboys are nothing more than the mediocre white man of sports. 
Listen, to where we it doesn't always mean that we aren't feel like we though. have to discuss them. Well, even that though they're not really meaning anything. You Look, can say all about, these things. We're talking we're about that right we're you're not, We're talking no, about that. No, you're not relevant. You're white. And that's the thing. Are white Sometimes people relevant in this society? Sometimes there's a confusion of relevance and whiteness. Even if it the is Cowboys a part of white supremacy. whiteness. Are nah, white man. people relevant as well? See, you, no, see you're a that's how you change. You're a hater. I'm not a, I'm not a hater. I just never got to it. To get up here and be like, Michael Irvin wasn't that dude? Please. I'm not, that is, I'm not even going to entertain that. was a lot Please. of fun. Michael Irvin was a lot of fun. He's a great player. I'm not taking anything away from Michael Irvin. I like Michael Irvin a lot. But we, we, wasn't, we wasn't in a neighborhood like I'm trying to be like Michael Irvin. We weren't. We weren't you're not in the, from, you're not we getting, weren't we weren't in the neighborhood talk it, we were trying to be Barry Sanders man we were Barry, try, trying to be Barry, we were trying to be Jerry Rice man we were trying to be Chris Carter man we were trying to be Randy Moss bro we we're trying to be TO bro we we're trying to be these people who's a cowboy later on but really had nothing to do with being a cowboy he that wasn't he wasn't even the most fun when he was a cowboy 49ers and oh, the Eagles yeah, 49ers um, and the Eagles. Man, biggest Cowboys mistake was not drafting Randy Moss. Yeah, they Big. would never draft somebody like that, though. You see what I'm saying? They would never okay, draft somebody Okay, but Michael somebody Irvin like was that. not a good guy like that. He wasn't like the, the, the company man when they drafted him. So, so stop. But he wasn't, he wasn't the guy that we wanted to be. You know, shout you out to Ken to. Norton in, Jr. In New Orleans. I, you didn't want to. That's fine. I'm not from New Orleans, but I'm just saying. I mean, it's like, I mean Louisiana. Sorry. Yeah, I'm just saying it's like it's not it's, it's 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 talk about Dak Prescott. That's that's Dak Prescott is the kind of guy you expect to be the quarterback of the Cowboys. That's it, man. Y'all get off your oh, own. No, dicks. I I will agree with that. I I I will agree with that. Mm. I'm not gonna, God. but like the disrespect just proves my point about the haters. The haters? Yeah. And you're one of them. I'm not a hater. I'm just keeping it real. I like, I, I'm like. i not a hater. I'm just keeping it real. It's, no, we don't support Dak like we support Lamar Jackson. Not even like we support Patrick Mahomes. I support Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes got that, that swagger, swagger, thang, thang. You know what I'm saying? I support him. We don't support. I'm not supporting Dak like I support none of these guys. Shout out to Dak, man. I, I, I wish Dak nothing but health and good. Good energy, but... Oh, I got to go. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, all right, all right. My, sorry, my bad. All right, okay, okay. Bye. My bad. All right, no bell back to... Up. No, no bell back to get, guys. We're going to let Rachel deal with uh, uh, the reality about the Cowboys, but we will see you on the next one. Take the caps off and do not stop learning. I am Van Lathan Jr. And I'm Rachel and Lindsay. Bye, guys.